Hi, welcome to the Marin Health Medical Center Emergency and Trauma Podcast, where we talk about emergency and trauma care in our community hospital. What we are doing today is we are going to talk about reversal agents in the ED. A lot of questions have come up. We're seeing it more and more. Um, One of our goals with trauma has been to decrease our um, uh, door to reversal time in our trauma patients with life-threatening bleeds. Um, and so we've got uh, a little Q&A session to hopefully clear th- some things up and uh, um, make it a little bit uh, easier. So, Chris, morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for the questions. So as I was looking at some of our policies and best practices here, um, I think should we start off um, with just to start off with just talking about Pradaxa? Yeah. I have some questions regarding Pradaxa. I noticed that we can actually give a second dose of the reversal of the Praxabind. And how do we actually determine when and, or how do we determine when to give that second dose? Um, well, really, there's no clear trigger on this because there's nothing that we're measuring specifically as far as blood tests are concerned. Um, what we're looking at mainly in, in the provider, whether it's going to be trauma or neurosurgery, is looking that um, there's no continued bleeding. Um, that's the big thing. So that requires constant monitoring, maybe repeat H&Hs or repeat CTs to make sure that it's not getting any larger. Okay. And is there a time frame? Can, how fast or when is the time frame when we can give a second dose? There's, I mean, can we give it within an hour, a half hour, or three hours down the line? Do they have any guidelines? Um, you know what? No guidelines that I know of, but that's something that I would need to look into a little bit more. Um, I, I think the big thing to realize, because this question has come up a couple of times, and that is with regards to the initial administration, uh, because what happens is you get two large 50 ml vials um, of the Pradaxa. And which is pretty intimidating when you first look at, or the Praxbind, uh, which is pretty intimidating when you first see it. Um, as far as administration, we give it IV push. Um, all you need to do is grab yourself a 50 or 60 cc um, Luerlock syringe, um, draw it up, and then as long as you've got an existing patent IV, you can give it IV push. Um, how fast? Don't blow the vein. That's how fast. Okay. Um, and the big thing to know as well is that your second um, bottle, the additional 50 mLs, does need to be given within 15 minutes of the first. So make sure that you just give them back to back. Okay. And also, when we do mix it up, it says it should be given within one hour. Is yeah. there, what is the reason for that? Uh, because once you mix it, mix it, it becomes active, and then it's at risk of actually um, breaking down and um, losing its um, effectiveness. Okay. Because what Praxbind is, is it literally is a, a section of an antibody. And so when it gets in there, it actually binds onto the dibigatran. It binds onto the Pradaxa, kind of like how Digibind works. It's part of an antibody. And so it actually binds onto the digoxin. So that's why once you mix it, because it is a protein, it's at risk of breaking down. So you want to administer it within that hour. Um, but the reality is, is if we're ordering it on these patients, especially in the trauma patients, we want them to get it within that first hour. Okay. What other question I have regarding Pradaxa, and how important is it to find out exactly when their last dose or when they took their last dose? For the Praxbind? 
Um, well, actually, when we, for, so, yes, or trying to get the reversal going. Um, I noticed that, well, I understand that the PCI-INR is actually elevated the first two hours after taking a dose of Pradaxa. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. And it has to do with where its action is on the clotting cascade. Because what it is, is your, your PT and INR can still be elevated because when it comes to Bradaxa, it's actually working down at the thrombin level, which is already a little bit further down the cascade. Just okay. a little bit, but not much, which is why you ne won't necessarily see a result within the lab work. And again, it depends on where these different um, agents work and where the reversal agents um, exert their effect. <clears throat> With the Bradaxa, the other thing is, it doesn't matter when they look last took their dabigatran, and it also does not matter what the dose is. There are other medications like Endexa, which I think you have some questions about a little bit later, that it does matter, and we can talk about that when we get there. Okay. And the, one of the reasons why I was asking about the timing of when the patient has taken Pradaxa is because there is a, um, a consideration about giving charcoal if ingested within the last two hours. How often do we do that? Uh, I don't recall any time that we've ever done that. Okay. I have a question. How soon should we redraw coagulation factors after administration of any reversal agent or specifically Praxpine? Um, well, it depends on the agent. For Praxpine, there's nothing that we're really looking at um, as far as reversal agents. So what will end up happening was, uh, or these patients are, again, typically ICU-level patients. So um, there's no specific order set for um, using Praxbine for using uh, um, the reversal agent. And so it'll end up being uh, at the discretion of the surgeon, neurosurgeon, or trauma surgeon uh, when they want to begin repeating labs um, and, and looking at um, uh, tracking and trending coags and H&H and all those things. Typically, though, for our ICU-level patient, we know that it's more frequent, usually Q1, Q2. But again, it, it'll become dependent upon the provider. Other orders are more specific in when to redraw and what to redraw. And, and again, it depends on where that mechanism of action is at, is at. Okay, thank you. Chris, are you okay if we move on to Andexa? Yes, that's the next one I was looking at too. All right. Um, so I know, a, Andexa is the reversal agent for Eliquis and Zeralto. Yep. Now, I, I was wondering, now that we're starting using Andexa, would we ever choose Kcentra over Andexa for, as a reserve, reversal agent um, for Zeralta and Eliquis? Yes. Um, some of the providers insisted on having that as um, still an alternate backup in case they're not seeing the effects um, uh, that they're looking for with the Indexa. Um, I can say at the same time, there's not a literature to support its use in that regard, uh, but it is still there as an alternative option. Um, it is an off-label use. Everybody who uses it in that capacity knows it is. Um, and here's the other thing, not everybody has Andexa. okay? Centra really is sort of a fallback for a lot of institutions that don't have access to Andexa yet. Okay. Um, so yes, we may still see its utilization, um, but usually um, as an adjunct with Andexa. Okay. 
What is the potential harm administering Indexa when you don't know the last dose of the anticoagulant? And is there harm in assuming and administering the higher dose versus the lower dose if you don't know? No. Um, the main reason is because when um, Andexa gets in there, it ends up looking like factor 10A. And that is where dabigatran and rivaroxaban work, is they work on factor 10A on a particular sort of part of the molecule. So what happens is the medications actually will favor Andexa and go bind to it, and that allows the real factor 10A to work and therefore clotting to occur. So if you give too much, if they, you know, haven't taken that much, or it's been greater than 24 hours, you're not going to cause any harm per se. I mean, you are giving a medication. It is a protein, so you can hyper, have hypersensitivity and allergic reactions, but really it's in less than 3% of the population. The most common side effects with most of these medications are headaches, nausea, vomiting, constipation, diarrhea, and in some you can see hypotension. The, the biggest thing that we're worried about with all of these is anytime we reverse somebody, whatever their underlying disease state is that they're on those reversal agents, now they're at risk for. So somebody in AFib or somebody with a history of DVTs or something like that, now they're at risk of having a thromboembolic event, which could be a DVT, which could be a CVA, which could be an MI, and any of these could result in death. Now, the reality is the studies show that about 12 to 18% of patients with Indexa, when reversed, will have a thromboembolic event. The reassuring thing, most of those events are DVTs. And we know a DVT won't kill you. Now, if it travels, it will. But the, the patients that actually suffer catastrophic, catastrophic events is still a small, small percentage of that 12 to 18%. So again, it's reassuring. Um, and again, it ends up being risk-benefit. Um, these are patients that have life-threatening bleeds on these agents that need them reversed in order to survive. So that's the reason why we do it. Um, Got to answer both components of that question. Yes, thank you. And I'm just going to ask another quick question while you're talking about complications. What should we watch out for once you've administered Andexa? And how long should we be watching out for these complications? For Andexa, the half-life is only about two to four hours. Um, and then after that, the medications that are already in their system, like dabigatran and rivaroxaban, will you know start working again. Um, the main reason we need that two to four hours is we need a good clot to form wherever this life-threatening bleed is occurring so that they quit bleeding and so that they do not die subsequently from whatever that is. Um, the reality is we will hold them from their normal medication. That again will be up to the provider um, because it may be 24 hours before they resume. It could be a little shorter, it could be a little bit longer. Um, but again, most of the time the patients are out of the ED in that, in that regard. Um, the other thing, um, repeat the question real quick. I know there was something else I wanted to say. I was asking how long you want to be oh, watching. And what you wanted to monitor. Yeah, and what to monitor. The big thing, since we talked about the big events being thromboembolic, DVT, stroke, CVA, PE, Monitor, neuro, cardiovascular, and respiratory status. As long as you're monitoring those, and again, these are typically ICU level patients, Q1 hour, you're gonna be safe. Thank you. Can you just discuss also a little more about the rebound effect you can have in one to four hours after the infusion? Again, that has to do with the half-life because okay. the medication will go in and it will bind, but after that, its half-life is up, and so now the medications whose half-life is longer than that of Indexa can get back to work and start doing what they do as anticoagulants. 
But again, that one to four hours, that really that two to four hours for the half-life is where we're just hoping we get a nice good clot to form wherever that bleeding is so that they quit bleeding. And usually most of these are intracranial hemorrhages. Because again, it's not a, a fibrinolytic. Okay. So once we have a good clot, we're safe. We just don't want the medication getting in the way of forming a good clot. Okay. Do we need any special equipment when administering Andexa, such as a filter? Yes. What's nice is when you go to program the um, Alaris, um, the Alaris is set up by whether you're going to do the high or the low dose. Um, everything will be mixed by the pharmacy. It is a standard concentration. Um, when you are doing the programming, two things come up. Um, one will tell you, make sure you start the bolus before the infusion because it is a different way of programming. And I want to say a couple of months ago, I shared the video on how to program Indexanet, but um, I will make sure that I share that again because um, it's, a, it, it's a feature on using the pump that we haven't really used before. It's a little bit new and unique for us in the ED. The other thing is, is the alert will come up that also says make sure that you use at least a 0.2 micron filter. So make sure that you are using a 0.2 or a 0.22 micron filter when I'm infusing um, Indexanet. May I ask the reason for that filter? Um, again, because it's an agent that is mixed up and because it is sort of a protein, it's just going to filter out larger clumps mm -hmm. and stuff, which we don't want to get into the circulatory system. Thank you. And at this time, do you want to talk about the, um, tell us a little more about how the last dose will affect um, the amount of adexa will be given the low dose and the high dose? Yeah. The nice thing is, is it's built into the order set. So the providers will be able to go into the order set and take a look. Um, some of the providers like Mark Bass and Mitchell were actually very much involved in the initial development of the order set and are very, very familiar with it. Um, the main, there's sort of two variables that you're looking at. One is um, how much of the medication did they get and how long ago. Um, if it's less than eight hours or unknown, um, and you know the dosing, and again, this, this becomes dependent on if the patient can give you a history, if family can give you a history, if EMS was able to get a history. Um, depending on the dose, and rivaroxaban and apixaban both have different dosing regimens, um, will determine whether you go low dose or high dose. And again, the timing of it as well, because um, less than eight hours, you have specific dosing. Greater than eight hours, it's always going to be low dose. Unknown will always be high dose and greater than 24 hours is no dose. Thank you. Should we be considering also adding in any fresh frozen plasma and red blood cells at this time? Only if the patient is bleeding elsewhere, like say they have a significant uh, solid organ injury um, and they need to be resuscitated, yes. But as far as FFP, FFP isn't gonna give you anything um, when it comes to the reasons why we're giving Indexa. It does have a place in other pathologies and we'll probably get to those and talk about those a little bit later. So do we wanna move on, do we wanna move on to Coumadin? Sure. I have a question. Would you give platelets to ever reverse Coumadin? No. Never. Nope, okay. not unless they are thrombocytopenic. Okay. In which case, you got to figure out why that's happening. But 
only if they're thrombocytopenic are we going to give them uh, platelets. Okay. Okay, and that's a good question because my question was regarding, you know, back many, many, you know, back before we had K-Centra, I believe our reversal was FFP, am I correct? Yep. For, for Coumadin, and now we're just strictly using K-Centra, am I correct? Yep. All right. So we don't do FFP any longer at all, and or is it in special situations? It is not part of our algorithms. Um, I do believe there have been times when they are still using FFP, um, but the typical algorithm now is actually the K-Centra with the vitamin K. Um, and again, I, I know there have been circumstances where the docs have ordered FFP as well. Um, and we can talk about why they would do that. Um, but I'll let the questions go and then we'll come back to that. Okay, and regarding K-Centra, I know we dose it per, per the results of the INR. Yeah. So 25 units, um, when you have an INR 2 to 3.9. But my big question, because as we're dosing it with the INR, are these ranges also going to be um, the same for the ISTAT INRs? No. Um, just because, again, the, the ISTAT is only approved for measuring INR for patients on Coumadin. When we start to reverse them, we're now throwing another variable into the mix. Okay. So you cannot say that that is a reliable variable, which is why, um, you know, when we get an initial INR with a patient that we know is on warfarin, we can use that initial value because we know that value is reliable and is approved and is validated. So that's good. Once we start to reverse them, then that's where we're going to need to utilize lab. Um, I would just want to make sure I understand the answer to that question. So it's better to have a lab INR if we're going to be reversing them yeah. start as a baseline. Yeah, because that's okay. what's going to be tracked and trended throughout their hospital stay. We're the only ones that are using INRs, PT INRs in the ED. Um, and again, only for patients on warfarin. Once we start to re reverse them, we're now adding another variable with K-Centra into the mix that makes that an unreliable result. Okay. I know that K-Centra and vitamin K are supposed to be given together. Is there a, is there harm if you do not give them together? And do you ever see where one is ordered and not the other? Um, is there harm? No, with a caveat. You do need to give the vitamin K as soon as possible. Um, the PCC, the reason why you're giving it is because warfarin specifically works on an enzyme in the liver to stop the um, synthesis and manufacture of, um, I believe it's factors, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to look at my notes. It's factor, um, do, 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 do. factor two, seven, nine, and 10. K-Centra specifically has those constant, those factors in a concentration 25 times greater than FFP. The other thing is, is they carry protein C, which is another important um, element in good clotting. And so um, when it comes to um, reversing, the other reason why we give the vitamin K and why it needs to be given um, so soon after is because the vitamin K um, will kind of saturate the blood. 
And by doing so, it's going to activate those enzymes. Even though warfarin is trying to compete for the space on the enzyme, now the vitamin K is there in such numbers that it's going to actually have a better chance of getting onto that enzyme. And now your body can start to make its own clotting factors. And that's the reason for giving the vitamin K is because just like everything else, the K-Centra has a half-life. And after it's done doing its job, you need the body to pick up and take over from there. Okay. So again, it, 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 these patients are, it, again, typically critically ill, life-threatening bleeds, one-to-one -one care. So you should have at least two lines anyway. Um, definitely get the PCC going, but get that vitamin K going as soon as possible because, again, that's what's going to get the body to start making its own clotting factors again. So to clarify, you would not give one without the other? Correct. And would you ever administer K-Centra without knowing the INR? Yes. If you have a patient that you know is on warfarin and has a life-threatening bleed and you're waiting for an INR result, you can actually start with the lower dose. Start with the 25 units per kilo. And then once you have a result, if you need to give more, you can then give more. So it is possible to find yourself in situations where they want to reverse immediately. You can start more and you can add later. Um, one of the things I like to say about medications is you can always give more of a medication, but you can never, ever take it back. Are there any side effects to giving K-Centra? Again, the most common ones, kind of like with the other reversal agents, headaches, nausea, vomiting, constipation, sometimes hypotension with it. The big ones, which are, again, down the road as the body starts to clot again and their underlying disease pathology takes over, is a thromboembolic event. So one of the things that I want to talk to you guys about, because you had brought it up earlier, and that was with regards to FFP. Um, the reason why we give FFP is FFP is actually high in those vitamin K-dependent clotting factors. And so by giving it, you're giving those factors 2, 7, 9, and 10 to the patient. Um, and that's the reason why sometimes you will see docs still request FFP when it comes to somebody who's on um, warfarin. Uh, but again, it's not part of our standard order set and it's not part of our algorithm, but don't be surprised if somebody orders it for the very reason that I had mentioned. It's high specifically in those vitamin K dependent clots. All right, do we have any further questions to cover, Laura? Regarding. Not on that one. I, I did was curious about cryoprecipitate, if we're okay moving on. I just wanted to know when we would use that. Um, specifically, um, cryo is, is historically been given for a couple of um, specific disorders. I think it's hemophilia type A, which is where they're short in factor eight, um, and then people who have problems with von Willenbrand factor. Um, and so cryo specifically is high in both of those factors, and that's why it's given. In our circumstances, I think the biggest question why we would be giving it is going to be in our trauma patients and when we're doing massive transfusion. Um, the big thing that we need to look at and monitor as we start to go down that pathway and after every round is monitoring the patient's fibrinogen levels because cryoprecipitate is also high in fibrinogen. And of course, as we have trauma patients and as we're resuscitating them, we want to resuscitate them with as close to whole blood as we can. So that's packed cells, FFP, platelets, and as needed, cryo. So um, when their levels get low, and depending on our resuscitation sort of landmarks, which low for us is below 200 milligrams per deciliter, we'll want to throw in a unit or two of cryo. Um, and again, it's to get that fibrinogen because that fibrinogen is that last little step before we get that fibrin mesh that we need to form a good, nice clot. Um, but in other patient populations, again, not unless they have an underlying disorder like hemophilia or 
um, problems with von Willenbrand's factor, do we need to give it? You know, talking about that fibrinogen level, when is the best time to draw? Is this, is this the level we should be drawing right on arrival to emergency department if they're bleeding or down the line? Down the line, after your first round and, and when you're going on MTP, that's when you wouldn't would draw it. Um, also, to take us back a little bit, um, Kcentra. I know this was one of your questions as well as when do you redraw? For Kcentra, you will redraw an INR 30 minutes after your initial administration. Okay. So that one is, has, a, has a very specific sort of criteria in its order set. And so um, repeat an INR 30 minutes after. Um, and then they may redose, and they can do, um, I think the redosing on this is like 15 units per kilo. Um, but again, that'll be provider specific. And are there any other reversal agents that do have that specific timeline of labs that need to be drawn? So really K-Centra? Correct. 30 minutes. That's the only one that has something specifically in our order set, and it's per the best practices even from uh, the manufacturer. Would you redraw it again after uh, prolonged after 30 minutes, like another second time, or is it just the first 30 minute redraw? Um, if they if their levels are still elevated after your 30 minute draw and they decide to do a repeat dosing, um, then yes, it will be good to check and make sure that the level has come down. On average, how long do the most reversal agents continually work for? Most of them are pretty short with like a two to four hour half-life. Okay. Again, it's just to form a good clot and then get out of the way. And you might need a second dose on some of these, depending. Yeah. Okay. When will we start looking at the use of desmopressin? Um, that one would actually be specific to um, any time a patient has a bleed and they are on um, any of the antiplatelet medications, whether it's um, Berlenta or um, Clopedrigryl, I hate that one, um, or aspirin. Um, and the reason being, um, desmopressin does a couple of things. One, it actually enhances receptor activity on the platelets. So that can help with platelet adhesion. In other words, making them a little stickier. The other thing is, is it can actually release von Willenbrand factor from the, um, the lining of the blood vessels as well. And that is important in um, platelet adhesion. Um, a lot, it's part of our algorithm, but usually it's after we start to um, treat them. Um, and then it's a consideration. Um, the thing to realize when it comes to um, anybody who's on a platelet inhibitor, we aren't really reversing them. Desmopressin just increases receptor activity, but it's not reversing the agent. The other thing that we do is we give them platelets. The reason why we give them platelets is we know that those platelets don't have any medication on their receptor sites. So those platelets are gonna be nice sticky platelets. Um, another good rule of thumb to know is patients on um, aspirin, when it comes to the platelets we have, which is, of course is single donor apheresis, you know, a six pack, um, one unit is typically enough to treat them. When it comes to the other medications, um, they usually need two units of single donor apheresis to effectively treat them. And why is that? Um, just because of the mechanism of action, the way the aspirin works and the way the other medications like the 
or the um, uh, Berlinta work because they work on different websites, whether it's the glycoprotein receptor sites or um, the different uh, sites on the platelets. So, and, and that's the thing, there's a whole slew of medications in there that work differently on platelets, uh, which again is why we don't, we don't have the means to reverse, but we have the means to um, treat. And speaking of platelets, when would you give platelets in specific for reversal agents? Um, again, if you have a patient with a life-threatening bleed that's on any of the agents that I attempted to um, say earlier, um, that is when you would give platelets. The other thing is, um, again, if somebody's thrombocytopenic, we're going to give them platelets. So when we look at Agrinox, and that has aspirin in it, would it be only giving them the one pack or the two pack? We would give them. We would or two them. units. Yeah. Okay. And again, it's sort of a general rule of thumb. You may still see providers want to give two. You may see providers give one. But when you look at the literature, you find that aspirin usually you can treat effectively with one unit of apheresis and with all the okay. other agents, two units. Okay. After you've given them for other reversal agent, do you want to check any labs? Yeah, you, you'll want to make sure that your platelets are up. And again, it depends on the on the goal. Um, I think our critical value here is 20,000. I know most times they want to um, give platelets if their level is below 50,000, but I know our goal and our endpoint for resuscitation and traumas is 100,000. So unfortunately, there's a few little variables and it also depends on the service. Are we talking trauma? Are we talking neurosurge? Who, who are we talking to? Because they'll de de determine sort of what our endpoint is going to be. And is that 30 minutes after the platelets are administered that you would redraw? They would probably order it an hour after. I mean, granted, you would see the results of it within 30 minutes, but it'd probably be a repeat in an hour. But what do you reverse heparin with? Protamine. Protamine. Yep. Protamine sulfate. I have not given that in a long, long, not a long, long, long time. Long yeah, long usually time. we don't see that as a, as a problem. And Lovenox? Same. Okay. Is there any special way we have to give cryo that we should know about? No. Um, okay. It'll come down. You'll you, use your typical blood filter like you normally do. Uh, blood banks should be sending down the appropriate filters if there's anything special that you need. Um, and, and again, it, it's a very small volume, so um, you can just open it up and get it in. I've done it where I've actually used a, a large syringe and drawn it up and just given it push. Um, depends on the volume and how much they order. Usually, I think ours, and correct me if I'm wrong, Laura, I think ours are equivalent to, our one cryo is equivalent to 10 units. I'd have to check yeah, on that. I'll have, I think one of the other questions that I've seen is with regards to um, administration of K-Centra. Um, Pharmacy, again, will mix everything up and put it into um, an IV bag for infusion. Um, again, use your guardrails, because the nice thing about the guardrails is it will do all the calculations. Um, if their concentration is wrong, it will alert you and call pharmacy. Um, and your rate of administration is already programmed in there, because the rates of administration are a little bit on the wonky side. It's like 0.12 units per kilo per minute up to 8.4 mLs. It's programmed at three units per kilo per minute, so just let it, that's the default. 
let it go, let it do its thing. But if you get any alerts, of course, call pharmacy and clarify. Kind of one more question I was thinking of overall, would you say that any of these reversal agents are dangerous to give in large amounts or are they all fairly safe as a general statement of giving high doses yeah. and administration? When it comes to high doses, again, your, your whole objective when you're giving this is somebody has a life-threatening bleed. Somebody has a bleed that is going to uh, potentially kill them. So by giving these, you are turning off what is what their normal medications are doing. Um, so again, your biggest risks with these are all those thromboembolic events. Now, are you going to see them in the ED? Highly unlikely. It's probably going to be hours, probably at least six hours to a couple of days down the road before you see this happen. Um, but in, again, in the ED, you want to monitor. Um, it is a risk-benefit analysis because they are not benign to do. Um, and again, if somebody, like if you give high-dose Andexa, and let's say that it's, you know, because you did not know when they last took their medication, and it was greater than 24 hours, you're not going to do any harm because they've already probably metabolized all of their agent, and you're not reversing anything. Um, if there's nothing for the medication to work on, there's nothing for the medication to do, so it's not going to cause any harm. Um, again, this is just... Um, the way Andexa in particular is, is it looks like factor 10A, but it has no coagulation effect like factor 10A. So it's not going to do anything. Again, it is a protein, so you could get a hypersensitivity or anaphylactoid reaction. But again, um, the higher doses, when you reverse them, that's where the risk is. But you're reversing them because they are a potential of loss of life or function. Uh, because of the bleed that ha is going on. Well, good. And, so, and that's the thing is, you know, trying to demystify some of the things because, you know, they're they're a little they're a little wonky and they're, they're all a little bit different in how they work and how you administer and where they work and all of that. And get a little hairy. I have to tell you something. I've learned so much just reading through the policy and procedure and then yeah. listening to you just in the last 24 hours. <laughs> Thank you.